Welcome to the Digestible Dynamics Podcast, a podcast for the innovators from the experts. We know that you're busier than ever, and the last thing you need as a business applications innovator is a lengthy, drawn-out podcast where you walk away with the possibility of learning something new. Well, that's how the Digestible Dynamics Podcast is different. Each episode will contain one digestible tidbit about Dynamics 365 that you can immediately apply to your business. With the combined experience of three decades in the business application space, Dr. KJ and I understand that the power of technology is not about the features and functions, but rather the value it can bring to your business to help you transform and drive growth. That's why we'll focus on the most useful things that you need to know about the Dynamics 365 platform. Welcome everyone to another episode of the Digestible Dynamics Podcast, your number one source for snackable tidbits to help you optimize your Dynamics 365 experience. According to an article released by Zipia earlier this year, 94% of enterprises use cloud services. The concept of the cloud is so pervasive not only in our professional world, but also in our personal world. From the things we do on our phone, like apps and play games, to streaming media, logging into social media, the cloud is everywhere. Dynamics 365 is also a piece of cloud technology that enterprises of various sizes, ranging from small companies to the world's largest companies, and across various industries, are using today. Despite how common cloud technology is, one common mistake or misstep we find companies are making with regards to Dynamics 365 is not being intentional with understanding its architecture, especially in the context of implementing it into their current business strategy. Today, our guest Brenda De La Torre sheds light into important facets of the Dynamics 365 architecture, how companies should think about their current cloud architecture when implementing Dynamics 365, and shares some pro tips on implementing the Dynamics 365 platform. Before we dive into this week's episode, let me introduce you all to Brenda. Brenda has worked as a Dynamics 365 and Power Platform architect for close to a decade and has since transitioned into a partner technology strategist role at Microsoft, serving as the CTO for global partners driving their technical roadmap and helping build transactable solutions. She hails from the Midwest, Wisconsin, and recently moved back with her husband, daughter, and dog. In her free time, she loves exploring nature like hiking and biking and helping people pursue a career in technology. You can follow her Instagram at called to tech for tech and career insights and news. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of the Digestible Dynamics podcast. We have an amazing guest in Brenda De La Torre to talk about her experience and what it's like from a, uh, the Dynamics architecture. So we're excited to have Brenda. Welcome. Thanks, Kevin. Thanks, KJ. Excited to be here. Love it. So let's begin and dive right in. Uh, now, before investing into the Dynamics 365 platform, what cloud architecture considerations are key and what strategies should companies consider to ensure a smooth integration into their existing IT infrastructure? I know I threw a lot at you. Yeah, no, that's a super great question. I think there's so many things to consider um, strategically from a project management perspective, training, the actual technical implementation and like the tools that we would use. So there's tons of considerations you want to make. So I'll just kind of highlight some of my top ones that I think people often forget. And then we get midway through a project and they're like, we should have thought a lot more about this. (laughs) (laughs) So a few of those things are actually like less on the technical side and more on the functional side. So train uh, training, 
you know, how are we going to roll this out and actually train end users? Do we have super users identified? I also notice for especially like enterprise implementations, change management can be really, really critical. There might be groups of people that are actually kind of resistant to an implementation, which you know, on our side, it's it's kind of hard to understand because we're all excited about technology, right? We love the new releases. We love the new features. But for some people, you know, they're really used to what their day-to-day is like. And so bringing in a brand new technology means upskilling. So they're going to have to learn a brand new tool. They're going to have to learn new processes. And it might take away from some of their day-to-day job. So I think change management and then also thinking about training is super important. Um, from a technical perspective, I think that security is often overlooked or it's like a second thought or afterthought rather. Um, and what I mean by that is there's so many intricacies to security and things that you want to take into consideration depending on what industry you're in, how your teams are structured, how teams are onboarded, right? Does this actually happen in Azure? It's just going to happen in Dynamics. So a lot of that stuff needs to be really carefully architected and thought through before you start executing. Because what can happen is once you get into the implementation, if you don't have some of those details and information ahead of time, you might actually have to re-architect things later on. And then, Thank you for um, that I breakdown. Part, part of oh, that, sorry, part I didn't of your other question. <laughs> no, no, you're, you're perfect. Sorry. I, I wanted to answer the other part. Um, so strategies. I have implemented projects super differently, um, all different kinds of ways, like waterfall. You know, we've had project managers. We've not had project managers. One strategy that I think is really helpful, if you can get it right, is like an agile approach, which means it's very iterative. We do small amounts of work in sprints. We get user acceptance and testing throughout so that um, what's really nice about this approach, in my opinion, is that you can kind of pivot, reprioritize things. And if something isn't working from your team structure, like with the customer, um, you have time to adopt and change that before getting into huge features and huge parts of the implementation. Love that. You gave us a lot of information on these are some great tips on what if you're uh, in the position to implement Dynamics 365, great things to consider. Now, a curiosity question for you. Who do you find is more difficult to it? It it takes more effort for them to adopt the platform. Is it the end users or is it the kind of the higher ups? Great question. Um, I think that it's oftentimes the end users if the leadership team hasn't kind of really reinforce and backed this exciting <laughs> new technology that's coming on. So oftentimes I think um, I'm not a seller, but I'm part of the sales cycle, at least when I was architecting full time, part of that, right, is we're talking to these stakeholders that are signing off on the overall project, right? And less often are you talking to end users who you get business process details from and who would actually be like maybe the first line in the system in terms of users. So I think that oftentimes, you know, if that's not communicated really well, those end users might be kind of frustrated and a little bit more resistant to why are we doing this? What is a return of investment? Why is this important? Yeah. So strategy and having that top down approach, having that conversation with everybody is super, super important. But Brenda, I got a question for you. So you did slightly speak about security and I always get peaked up in my interests uh, when security is spoken about. So how do you go about 
presenting and securing that that buy-off from the security and or data teams because we're we are talking about a lot of data and those if a lot of people don't know those are two separate teams and so how do you think about that and how do you go about getting their buy-off yeah it it's definitely a complex topic oftentimes um typically what i you know the the best way usually when i'm approaching this situation is I first try to understand what is just the team hierarchy. So like, give me an org chart, kind of help me understand what are the roles, right? And also if we can kind of start to denote what data do they interact with, right? And then I go back to the data team and get their perspective to understand what is highly sensitive data, who should or should not be seeing things. Funny enough that like nine out of 10 times people have access to data right now (laughs) that they shouldn't have access to. So you definitely want to get a perspective from both of those teams. And I would recommend doing it in isolation first. So like just working directly with each team. And then I think it's important to kind of compile your findings and say, this is what I think strategically we should do. Here are areas where we disagreed on the end user, what data they should or should not see. We get the groups together to talk it out make some key decisions and then that can inform the architecture and you know honestly i think actually an implementation is a great way to review that and have a fresh start at having the right data security and compliance arms in place yeah no that's that's really great and so when you think about once you do get that buy off i think what you said is something around being agile right when you were answering kevin's question So when we think about some of those tools to be agile or using in a waterfall, are you using like uh, the Azure DevOps tool? I know that's really good, like a Kanban tool. What what types of tools are you using to really keep this project moving in the right direction? Yeah, so I will not lie. I love ADO. I'm obsessed with it. I think it's like (laughs) a one and all tool where it can really help with you know, t- to a degree project or like sprint planning. Um, and then it also helps with like your application lifecycle management, right? So we have a repository. So if there's like actual dev work going on, right, we can kind of kick things off there in terms of like solution management. It's also where you track your burn down. It, in my opinion, if it's used and leveraged correctly, it gives great visibility for both teams to understand this is where we are. Um, and again, data And these tools are only as good as the data that you put in it, right? So you have to be super mindful. Like user stories should be really strategic, right? We need sign off from our customers so they're understanding what we're building and they're part of this process. But I find that tool to be extremely helpful and really useful and in like an agile or iterative approach. Love that. Now, when we think about how architecture has changed from when you start or started working with Dynamics, I think you said roughly a decade ago. I'd love, we'd love to get your perspective on what you've seen change and, and how it changed as you've helped uh, customers implement it. Yeah, I have um, a really interesting like experience in my career. I've worked pretty much with almost every version of CRM. So I've gotten to see this incredible evolution of on-premise, sort of this, I want to say, not very fancy Excel is is basically what an older <laughs> version of, of dynamic CRM was. All the name changes, right? The evolution to the cloud was huge. Even the UX changes. Um, if I had to pinpoint like a few specific highlights, other than us like literally moving to the cloud, I would say you know 
language changes. So we changed a lot of like programmatically, um, you know, how you call APIs and, and the different classes you call. So that was one big change. I think that was from like 2011 to 2000, it lit the next version up. Don't quote me on that, but I, if, if record or my memory <laughs> serves me right. Um, and then the other two areas where I think it's just been an explosion of like radically different changes is definitely with the power platform, right? So we've kind of not deprecated, but we've really gone far away from our, what we call our classic workflows to now, you know, using Power Automate Flow. And that kind of has tied off two different um, important pieces when we think about a project, which is integrations, right? So that's another tool now we use to integrate and also like a workflow tool. So, you know, notifications, our record status is changing, right? So Power Platform has completely changed everything. And then I think we're kind of in a little bit of a uptick right now too, or a little bit of a renaissance for Dynamics when we think of like Copilot and everything that's happening with yeah. Azure OpenAI. I think we'll see, you know, look back at this time and think that was a real different shift in how we're using and thinking about Dynamics. No, I love that. And so when you think about Copilot. You mentioned it. I got to ask about it. Right. <laughs> so, um, so when you think about Copilot, how do you think customers are going to roll that out in a security? You know, when you think about security, when you think about data, um, how do you think that's going to be rolled out um, in, in your mind? Yeah, well, from my understanding right now, it still is adhering to the same security and data like compliances that are part of like if you're part of an Azure Active Directory security group, it should flow through that. Um, but I am, you know, it's I'm kind of one of those people that wants to use it to see it to believe it. <laughs> right. So I've used things like Viva Sales, which are incredible, right? It actually generates things in Outlook for you. I'm really excited to see it firsthand in Dynamics because I have those same exact concerns, KJ. I am curious about, hey, is the right information coming in? And especially when we think about like our entire ecosystem of ISVs and partners, right? They have the ability to bring their data as part of a co-pilot in Dynamics, right? Is their data coming through correctly? Are we seeing things that we shouldn't be seeing? So um, I'd love to do a follow-up session with you guys to look at some of the security concerns and architecture with Copilot, because that's a great point. No, that's fantastic. Booked. Yep. Say less. We will definitely <laughs> have you on because uh, Copilot is something that I talk to my customers about every single day, every single call, which is great because like you said, it's a resurgence of energy into that platform. But that leads me to the, my next question. Just because there's a technology here doesn't mean you actually you know, need that newest and greatest to be as effective. So what are the most common mistakes customers make when they're uh, architecting a Dynamics 365 solution for their organization? Yeah. So I alluded it a little bit to it at the beginning. I think security is definitely a pain point, right? Um, the other area is super nitty gritty, but I think people can sometimes tend to get, I don't want to say lazy, but basically when you're creating uh, customizations and dynamics, you can create managed and unmanaged solutions. And unmanaged, it's just kind of like a free-for-all. Anybody can go in there, they can do whatever they want. And a lot of times, you know, if the project is starting to feel stressful and they want things done in a timely manner and the 
you know, customers maybe might be changing their mind about what they think they wanted, right? If there isn't a good agile strategy there, right? It can get kind of stressful. And I've often seen like, you know, architects and developers alike push things from an unmanaged solution to like a production environment. And that can kind of, it may not create an immediate headache, but down the line, it can create a lot of security concerns and performance concerns in terms of like anyone who has admin access can go in and modify that managed solution. And then it becomes really hard to control what's in each environment. No, I think that's great. And I also see that sometimes customers just don't plan for the growth that they have. And that's, that's truly key. Yeah, no, that's completely true. I I think a lot of times, um, at least with like smaller, medium sized customers that I've worked with, um, they think that they want maybe a small solution, right? They think, oh, I just want, you know, these five things. And then they actually get a taste of the power of dynamics and how efficient it can make different roles. And they start wanting more and more features, right? And they realize other teams are like, it can help so many different facets of their business that they want more and more. So being strategic and mindful about that upfront is really, really important. No, excellent. And so I want to ask you, what is a good use case that you've seen be successful in a Dynamics 365 solution? Yeah. Um, So a lot of the things I talked about today, I'm proud to say one of the more recent projects that I architected um, was actually for a very large enterprise insurance company. Um, And they, I mean, we had probably like six or seven simultaneous projects going on within the overall project. So I felt very fortunate to like lead a team of architects throughout this whole vision. And, you know, I'm not saying that everything went perfect every day, but overall, because we were agile, we were very clear communicators. We had similar methodology throughout each of those sub projects, even though the security was really complex and, you know, data in insurance and healthcare, right? There's a lot of concerns around that. Uh, HIPAA privacy, right. like you have to be very compliant. So many considerations because our team was so great to work with. We had great communication and we're like trusted advisors really with that customer. It made it go really smooth. So even when there was a mistake made or a hiccup, you know, they realized we're one team. We work together and, you know, ultimately we're not trying to <laughs> add more work to our plate, you know, um, but that we were trying to win and, and achieve something great together. Fantastic. That is a great use case. You kind of uh, dotted all the I's, crossed all the T's there, but it wasn't without struggle. So thank you for sharing that. Uh, Brenda, before we close this episode, I know that you're doing something really cool with Instagram and, and highlighting what it's like to be uh, a tech worker and helping others kind of break into the space. Do you want to telling us about that as well? Yeah. So a few months ago, I started this Instagram called Called to Tech. Um, and it's really just like tech insights. If you're interested in getting a career in technology, whether or not you have a technical background, I just give kind of like tips and insights to different paths you can take, maybe different certifications, free trainings um, that might be interesting. So for anyone listening out there that's interested in technology, um, yeah, please follow. It'd be great. Great. We'll put that in the show notes. Well, Brenda, thank you so much for highlighting what it takes to architect the Dynamics 365 solution 
some best practices and pro tips as well as what traps and obstacles to avoid if possible. Thank you for being on the show. And we're going to take you up on that offer to have you on to talk about security concerns for Copilot. I can't wait. Thank you both. Thank you for tuning in to Digestible Dynamics Podcast, a show for you, the innovators, with content directly from the experts. While we only cover one tidbit of Dynamics 365 per episode, if you want to learn more, head over to our LinkedIn page by searching for Digestible Dynamics on LinkedIn so that we can guide you to the right resource to help you maximize your Dynamics 365 experience. If you have any other questions, email your host, KJ and KG at digestibledynamics at microsoft.com. Until next time, folks. <laughs>